This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Mariam Gates. Mariam Gates is a passionate and inspiring teacher with over 20 years of experience working with young people. Through the Kid Power Yoga program, she has combined her dedication to teaching yoga with her skills as an educator to guide children in accessing their own inner source of strength, confidence, problem solving, and creativity. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Mariam and I spoke about introducing yoga into the school system and her vision of how yoga and meditation could be taught from kindergarten through 12th grade and the huge impacts this could have on reducing violence and emotional reactivity at school and in our society. We also talked about special considerations for teaching yoga and meditation to kids and her advice to parents on how to introduce yoga and meditation without getting into power struggles with your children. Finally, we talked about Goodnight Yoga, her new book, and how it came into being. Here's my conversation with visionary educator, Mariam Gates. To begin with, Mariam, I'm curious if you can tell our listeners how you transitioned from being a Harvard-trained teacher in the Boston school system to developing Kid Power Yoga. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, I uh, I had always I'm the oldest of five, and so working with kids had always come. Um, really naturally for me and I'd always been pointed in a direction with education and kids and after school programs and um and you know that led me uh to Harvard and I felt like that would be the place where I would learn the most about um how to work with young people and I, I think before I even went there and I was working in other educational programs I felt like I was coming into contact with a lot of kids who were already creating um, identities about themselves that maybe weren't always positive. You know, they were not good at math and did not really into school and, um, you know, and and kind of sometimes negative emotional uh, beliefs about themselves. And these kids were seven and eight and nine. And, you know, so I... I felt like even before Harvard I felt like okay how do I get in there you know how how do I how do I work with young people and say okay that let's let's keep the doors open keep the windows open let's keep the air moving let's you know let's allow for um possibility and at the time kind of a traditional teaching role uh made the most sense so I got my teaching degree and I got my master's and I I learned a tremendous amount and it was incredibly uh inspiring um to be there and and be amongst these great educators and I I took all that good learning and I and I went into the Boston Public Schools and you know it it was uh hard <laughs> it was hard and there were a lot of teachers there who um were doing beautiful work with young people and had been there, you know, for for decades and were really committed and and doing the work. And then there were other people there who maybe hadn't, you know, <laughs> teaching hadn't been a choice. And um, and there was a lot of pain and a lot of resentment and a lot of fear. 
and fear of the kids even, you know, the, the year I taught was the year of Columbine. And, um, you know, it just, uh, unfortunately, you know, we've, we've had more of that, but it, it just, it, it kind of, uh, threw shockwaves, uh, through the public school education system, I think across the country. And, um, I think what happened for me there is that I was young and I was really afraid of, um, kind of going to the waterline. I didn't at that time have enough um, internal standards for how to keep the bar very high in my work with young people. I, I, I was really struggling, um, and there was uh, so much negativity that it was hard for me to kind of rise above that and, and hold a higher image. And so so I, I left the traditional setting, and I started working with a program called Citizen Schools, and I was a program director because they were working in the same population with Boston Public Schools, but they um, had very high standards for the educators, for the kids, for the whole process, and um, I was inspired again. And, and I felt like, again, in my 20s, um, and I think this is true really with anything new, um, it's so important to surround yourself with people who are uh, holding you at, and the work you're doing to high standards. I, I just didn't have it on my own. And so I did that work for a number of years. I absolutely um, loved it. But at the same time, yoga was really growing in my life. And my husband had made the decision to you know, kind of devote his life completely to yoga. And he was teaching a lot and, and I was getting more and more involved, and it was really transforming my life. And we decided uh, as a couple that, you know, here we are both working so hard in our lives, it really made more sense to put our oars in the same stream, you know, and that if we were going to do this kind of um, work and if what we believed in was transformation and, and change, that we wanted to kind of be on the same team and so we decided to open a studio. And so I, again, you know, shifted away from this uh, educational program that I've been directing for a number of years and kind of, you know, took the leap of faith to say, okay, we're going to open this studio and, and kind of launched into all of that. And it really was probably uh, within – and it was painful. It was confusing because – my direction had been with kids. My direction had been with young people. And so, you know, what what was going to be my role or what was going to be my path? And yet I really felt a strong uh, desire and drive, and it, it felt really right to move in this direction uh, with Rolf. And uh, it was literally two weeks, I think, from leaving uh, citizen schools that I got a call from the school that I worked at asking if I would be their yoga teacher. They said, great, you're going to do yoga? Well, we need PE, you know, a charter school in Boston. We need PE for the next year. Uh, will you do it? And, you know, this was now, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 years ago at this point. And um, so I immediately said yes. Um, I hadn't been doing the two together. I hadn't been using my background as an educator and my passion for yoga together, and I thought, oh, perfect. And I went in the first day, and I, I taught PE the entire year to uh, their kindergarten, first, second, and third grades And uh, while opening the studio. And I went in the first day, and I thought, this is it. This is what I meant. You know, this here in the classroom, which is where I wanted to be, but in this way, you know, presenting these ideas, breathing with the kids, moving with the kids, um, talking about possibility, expansion, practicing confidence, practicing a proud seat, practicing balancing energies. Ah, uh, you know, I felt like I, I had just, it all came together. You know, it, it um, absolutely was, I felt like I was home. Like this is what, this is what I meant. You know, this is what I wanted. And um, and it was really hard, you know. I mean, part of part of where my own trainings have uh, evolved out of was that when I started that work, there was very little resources out there. So, um, 
you know, I was really making it up as I went along and kind of trying to piece together the, the parts of yoga that I felt like would translate and the pieces of education that I knew were just um, powerful tools. And uh, But I was really stumbling through that entire year. And uh, um, But it became really the kind of... Uh, the roots and the groundwork for everything I've done since, you know. Um, but really, yeah, I, I I created Kid Power Yoga teacher training programs because um, there was so much I needed and didn't have uh, for that first year, and and so much that was about um, letting go, uh, kind of keeping the same principles and the same ideas and the same. Uh, goals and the same um, uh, structure and hopes and dreams for the students in my class, uh, but but really shifting what it looked like some of the time because I was working with young people, and and that became really key, uh, kind of for for everything I I've done since. Now, Mariam, I'm curious. I, I read in an article online that you said within the next five to ten years, yoga in the schools will be the norm. And I thought, is that really true? Do you really think that in the very near future, yoga in the schools will be the norm? Yeah, I, I, actually, I actually do. I mean, I, you know, I, I think we're always going to be... Um, we're always going to be up against... Um, people's concerns or misconceptions around yoga, and certainly, you know, things went as far as a legal case in Encinitas in the last year, um, where a a group was actually, a group of parents were actually suing the school system for teaching yoga and being concerned about kind of religious overtones. It didn't pass, you know, the judge overruled it. Um, So certainly, (laughs) there's, it's, it's, um, it's not, um, it's not that I am uh, naive in terms of that kind of resistance, but what, what I see is uh, adoption, adoption, adoption all over the place. I mean, I think, you know, it's been a big, this past 10 years have been a big 10 years in yoga in terms of evolution, in terms of movement into the mainstream culture, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, depending on who you ask, you know, but certainly... Um, the idea of yoga is just not uh, so obscure or esoteric as it was 15 to 20 years ago. I mean, just uh, it's absolutely been uh, a big shift. And I think, you know, what what I look at, you know, as a part of that is I think, you know, the the United States military has been moving in a direction of incorporating mindfulness, incorporating Yoga. Sometimes they're using other words um, around, you know, stretching and resilience. But um, those guys are really about uh, effectiveness, and they are the ones that often uh, are leading the um, kind of trickle down in terms of how things are adopted. And I think if the U.S. military is kind of bringing yoga as a practice to deal with trauma, to deal with physical trauma, to deal with PTSD, what we're seeing is that it's just a matter of time until this is getting even more uh, incorporated into uh, other systems like our education system. I mean, I I think right now, um, if I look at 15 years ago, teaching yoga in schools, I would have to write a letter at the beginning of every session explaining what yoga was, what it wasn't, you know, trying to make it as inclusive as possible. And I haven't had to do that for years and years, you know, in all different school systems around the country. Um, I I used to have kids who had to sit out because there was still such a lack of knowledge about what it was or did it interfere with other religious practices, what did it mean. And um, that just hasn't been the case for, for such a long time. So I do think that um, also with the increased level of concerns around issues of emotional intelligence and bullying and violence in schools, I think people are really looking for widespread education 
that uh, has a more holistic approach and deals with the whole child. And I just think yoga is part of that. And do you see yoga entering the school system primarily through the physical education department? Is that the way in? Um, I think it's the easiest. Um, I think part of what we're all up against is as the standards increase um, and the kind of uh, core requirements increase and in across grade levels, and certainly that's coming more and more into the elementary level as well, teachers are left with less and less time for anything that feels additional. So I think physical education is um, usually the easiest entry point. Um, certainly that's been the case I wouldn't say for the majority of my teaching in schools. Um, I think that finding 30 minutes once a week here and there is um, is still possible. But, uh, yeah, I would say primarily it's probably the easiest entry point. And what are the special considerations, if you will, when you're teaching yoga to kids? I mean, another way of saying that is, How's a class for kids different than a yoga class that an adult would go to? Well, you know, there's kind of two answers to that. One, one has to do with safety. Um, and in that regard, uh, certainly yoga is far less taxing on a child's body than uh, most of the sports that kids are involved with today, you know, to include gymnastics or um, soccer, you know, and the kind of threat of injury is much higher in, I think, a lot more of the traditional sports. So, um, but, you know, the safety piece that that I address certainly in my trainings, I really, it's no different than working with a group of brand new beginning adults. So people who have all different uh, levels of somatic intelligence and connection to their bodies. And so they may or may not be aware when they're, you know, twisting their ankle a bit unsafely or moving their knee. Um, So for me, uh, kind of a rule of thumb and part of what I like doing with kids is really helping them to understand that they're in charge of their bodies and they're in charge of what feels right and what doesn't. And so if you walked into a class that I teach, you could say, if it hurts, and the kids would say, it's not yoga, you know, and that's sort of my rule of thumb is if something's hurting, it's not yoga. This is about feeling good and finding your your point of a stretch, your point um, in the pose. So so there's that piece, you know, there's always the safety piece, and then when, when you're working with kids and, and their kind of varying levels of attention issues and um, their own physical sense of themselves, uh, you know, that's always first and foremost. But the second piece um, is that when I do a class with kids, I really follow the same structure and purpose that is in an adult class. And the kind of style of yoga that I practice is a flowing vinyasa style. And so what I'm looking at when I'm working with a group of kids is really following a similar formula, which is a series of warm-ups into a flowing sequence, which will include standing and floor and balance, and then a shavasana and a rest period and, and an emphasis on breath and an emphasis on mindfulness and an emphasis on the transitions. But what's different about it, and I'll use kind of the warm-ups as an example, is in a traditional vinyasa class, the you know if you're doing a for, for those of you listening who who practice in that style, the warm up, the kind of repetitive sun salutation A, sun salutation B, is um, really intended you know for a couple of purposes. One is obviously to move the body and warm up the body, and you know there's kind of health practices for that for the rest of the class to come. But the other part of that is really a dropping in. You know, it's almost a, a, you could almost use the word sort of a light hypnotist quality to it. You know, you're just kind of letting go. You're, you're doing repetitive movement. You're letting go of the day. You're dropping in. And with kids, that can look a little bit 
different. You know, what I'm doing in a warm-up with kids before we get into the actual flow of the class is they have to really have that buy-in and that invitation. And it's the same idea. It's the same principle. It's the same kind of, okay, we're here now. We're This is a place where we're accepted. This is a place where we can be, but they are kids. And so some of my warm-ups, some of them look like that. Some of them are a sun salutation A, sun salutation B. It depends on the group I'm working with. Sometimes it's, it would look very similar to a d- traditional class. But sometimes it's very silly and playful and we're flopping around and we're laughing and there's, you know, kind of almost a game to it because I find that that's then the warm-up for them. That's their transition into the rest of the class. If they've done that with me and then they're moving and they're even sometimes sweating, we've been moving, we've been playing, we've been stretching our bodies, we've been feeling kind of all that joy, we've been letting go of, you know, usually I'm in the middle of their school day, so we've been letting go of recess and letting go of science and letting go of math, and then they're there, you know, then they're landing, which is not different from the landing that's happening at the end of a warm-up in an adult class. And it's just beautiful. And sort of once I found that I could give myself permission to um, give them that, then they were ready to move into, you know, really far more adult flow, you know, far more adult um, breaking down of poses and paying attention and where are my feet and where are my hands and where's my heart and where are my eyes, you know. but But I had to kind of... Um, you know, it's different. It's uh, part of what I love about being particularly in a classroom, uh, in a school setting, is that they aren't choosing it. You know, it's different than working with adults who all came to this class and paid money and put down their mats. They didn't choose it, and I like that because I like the exposure to a population that maybe wouldn't find themselves, wouldn't find their way to a class that I would teach in a studio. But it also means that I've got more work to do to kind of, I've got to take a few more steps towards them, you know, um, for us to do the work that I really want to do. Uh, so, you know, that's that's one piece of it, and that's what I mean about looking at, oh, I'm accomplishing the same goal, but sometimes it looks different because they're children. You know, sometimes the invitation is different. Now, let's say someone's listening and they're a parent, and they have a yoga practice, but currently their kids don't participate in any way. Their kids are running around or perhaps even you know, playing games on the iPad, whatever, while the parent is doing deep stretching and different kinds of postures. What's the best way or what would be your recommendations for how that parent could reach out and involve their kids? Well, I, you know, also a a really good question Um, and uh, I think kind of a a universal one for parents who, you know, or for many parents who who do have a practice. I mean, one piece I would would actually say is that I I do think exposure, um, even when it doesn't feel like um, they're engaging, I, I do think that we do a lot of teaching with our behavior uh, far more than with our words. And so having a yoga practice around your child, I actually think, is, is powerful and, and has, has merit. Um, and, and probably uh, in terms of your specific question about engaging them, um, I think that finding, uh, you know, again, it's sort of, depends on age, but I think I think finding entry points with them, it, it really is why I wrote a book, you know, about this and about, uh, it's why I wrote a book um, to bring parents and children into a practice together. Uh, and it's a kid-centered book for exactly that reason. Um, I think finding the uh, Maybe it is a video. Maybe it is an outside class. Um, I I think what's tricky is, um, it, you know, anything that brings a parent into kind of a power struggle with their child is 
uh, has its own uh, tricky dynamics to it if if the idea is you should be doing this instead of what you're doing. But it's so different to find some partner poses and see if they want to help you with them at that moment in your in your class. I mean, even going online, there's you know tons and tons of resources now come up, and there's a lot of fun partner yoga poses that um, I think are great entry points and great ways to begin to engage. Um, I also really like to use at night guided visualizations. I think it it brings kids more deeply into their bodies. Um, there's one. Uh, cloud visualization at the end of Good Night Yoga for exactly that reason, that I just think there's um, anything that is helping kids to take that deep breath in and that long breath out and feel into their bodies makes them more open to more of it, you know, makes them, ooh, if that felt good, maybe I will try, you know, partner owl pose with you. If that felt good, maybe maybe next time when you're on the mat, I do want to try it with you. Maybe buying them their own mat and block and cushion, you know, giving them kind of some ownership and some connection to it, I think can also go a long way. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, there's a a lot of talk about teaching kids meditation as well as teaching yoga postures. And and I wonder what you think about that. Do you have much experience with that? Yeah, I think that is really, uh, really powerful. And I, um, I, I think it's, you know, it, it, how we can shift the whole world, you know, if if our young people learn how to sit with themselves. I mean, really, meditation is a practice of, uh, at least in the styles that um, that we do in in our household, is uh, learning how to sit with what comes up without um, reacting. You know, which is so key uh, to every aspect of life is you know, uh, watching sensation and allowing it to pass without having to jump into reaction. And so I think kids can absolutely meditate, and I think that it's just an incredibly beautiful practice. I think like with everything, um, it needs to be done in a way that suits them, and that usually just has to do with limited time. You know, I think that asking a child to sit still and be quiet um, for 20 minutes is, at least initially, is act, asking quite a bit. So when I teach meditation in my classes, uh, you know, and this would be with, say, a first grade class, we do a count of eight. And so I have the students, and this can be 30 kids in the room, and close their eyes and kind of try to remove um, as much visual stimulation as possible and allowing still for what they're going to hear because they'll be listening to my voice. And I do a very slow count of eight, and they know ahead of time that it'll end after eight, so we're sort of minimizing any anxiety with the newness of sitting quietly. And we're just noticing and watching and internally and noticing what we hear. And so we just start with the count of one. And we bring our attention to the inhalation and the exhalation of our breath. And then we go to two. And they start to notice maybe sounds in the room. And so they start to hear 
Maybe the heater went on or there's birds outside. And I continue counting. And I find that um, in every class, kids talk about starting to hear what is going on inside their body. And they feel like they felt their heart or they could hear their breath. And it's all just awareness practice. And I find that it's actually easy to do that with kids. And it's a practice. It's, you know, just like with adults, it, it gets easier the more I incorporate it into the class over the, over the you know, progression of a year, uh, the easier and the more ready they are for it. And I'll add, you know, yoga is a meditation. You know, it's a meditation in motion. But we talk a lot in my classes about the fact that the yoga is not the poses we're doing. The yoga is how we're being in the poses. The yoga is the transition from one movement to the next, keeping our awareness, keeping our connection to where are my feet, where are my hands, where are my eyes, where's my heart, and just bringing it back, bringing it back. Because it's all just practices to be more in the present moment. That's what we're, you know, that's the <laughs> that's the shiny apple. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's, that's, um, we're looking at being um, rather than so much focus on doing. And so I think, you know, the meditation is happening in the yoga anyway, but I also think that kind of a more uh, traditional, specific meditation practice with kids is wonderful. My husband and my son uh, have been meditating fairly regularly uh, this fall, and he's eight and uh, and they just have gotten into a nice routine. Um, and my daughter joins them some. She's 11, and we've been talking about kind of the question that you brought up, which is um, she's not against it. Uh, a little bit of it is logistics and sort of when they're choosing to meditate and, you know, do we shift that. But a little bit is also... Um, how much are we exposing and are we making them do it? Are we saying this is a value so you're going to do it too? Is it, you know, I, I, we, we come up against that as well. And, you know, our whole, our whole lives are yoga and meditation. And, and, you know, we have those questions too with our own kids for sure. I'm imagining a parent who might be listening who perhaps is dealing with a young child who has a lot of behavioral challenges, who flips out a lot, very emotional. What could they do sort of on the spot, if anything, during some type of emotional freakout to help their child breathe or, or relax in some way? What do you suggest? Well, I think what you're talking about, you know, for a child in so many ways is such a disempowered state, you know, to have that much emotion or anxiety or frustration, anger, all of that coming up and not knowing how to express it is really, you know, a kind of chaotic and disempowered um, state to be in. And, I, you know, I, what I love about these practices and about um, particularly breath work is how natural it is for us to, when someone's sort of naturally in a in an agitated state, what what we first tell them to do is take a deep breath. It's like we know these practices work. We we know intuitively, like <sighs> changes something. And so, looking for um, uh, skills and practices that add to that, that, that give that parent and that child something that's more empowered to do with that energy. I, I will say it, I think it's hard in the moment. I think that if, um, and, and absolutely, you know, take a deep breath or, uh, or, you know, a, a big lion's breath, all those things in the moment can be very helpful, but I, I think the work really has to happen, um, on a day when when they're not in that state. I think what you're really doing with kids, and particularly with kids who are prone to more agitated states and and have um, a harder time with frustration levels, I think what you're looking for is how do I do 
pieces of this with them so that we have a communication, we have a language to go back to when we're in those hard moments with each other. So for me, you know, what you're looking for is uh, I do a lot of, okay, lion's breath. What do you do when you've just got so much happening inside you but you don't want to hurt yourself or others? Is there a way, a permission to just take a deep breath in and lion's breath is that big breath out with your tongue out and your eyes wide and just a lot of expression and a lot of force of energy out, often sitting on your knees and then just leaning forward with it, just a, you know, but that would be something that I'd want to be working on with them um, when they're not in that state so that we could say, ah, let's do this. Let's let's take this out a bit um, and kind of take it out of ourselves and I think also, you know, what I like about all of this work is that none of this is about not having strong emotions or strong energies. None of it is about being afraid of that or trying to um, push it down in some way. But it's all about, okay, how do I move with it? How do I manage it? How do I, what do, what do I do in the moment? Um, I think also, you know, uh, it can be for some kids, uh really containing to go into a guided visualization if they can kind of calm down at least enough um, lying on your back and doing kind of muscle tensing and releasing and then going into more of a relaxed visualization can be so helpful. So that lying down on your back and starting with just squeezing your feet and your toes together and then releasing and then squeezing feet, toes, knees, thighs, everything together and releasing. And then going up through the body all the way until you're at your face and you're just squishing everything as tight as it can be. And then releasing. And then letting that go into something like the cloud visualization at the end of goodnight yoga or another kind of um, calming story about going to kind of a peaceful place or finding yourself drifting or flying, all of those kind of, and again, there's so many resources now. It's what's really beautiful about this work is that um, unlike 15 years ago, there's so much more um, out there, you know, for a parent who's looking for uh, more ideas and more um, pieces to bring into working with their own children. And so I, I think any of those things can be so helpful, but I, I do think it's important, again, you know, the the use of the word practice is essential here because just like for myself, just like for adults, you know, we, we have these practices so that when things are tight and hard and um, challenging, we have something to lean on, and I think that's the same for kids. Now tell me a little bit, Mariam, how your book, Goodnight Yoga, came about. Were you going through a nighttime ritual with your kids where you were doing yoga before bed? You know, it started as, you know, pieces of it, I think, started even earlier than that with um, looking for uh, soothing flows for uh, even just calming kids in the middle of a school day. So there's kind of pieces of it began even before uh, I was having regular bedtimes in my life. There were pieces of that where um, how do we have something that really takes energy and moves, helps kids move through energy and then brings them down to a really settled state, you know. And um, so I was always kind of... uh, working with that. And then, yeah, I, um, uh, with my uh, daughter, actually, uh, they've never been terrible sleepers, but my daughter in particular uh, has had, I'd say, a harder time um, settling at night. I think for some kids, and it's interesting, you know, for my son, really, once it's bedtime, he says goodnight, and that's kind of the end of it. I mean, he'd like you to stay. He'd like another glass of water, but he's pretty he's pretty ready. You know, he's pretty okay to just conk out. But for my daughter, um, it really just depends. And we have a sound machine for her, and um, she really needed more ritual. She really needed uh, kind of 
you know, to kind of um, get in the shoot of going to bed before we even got there. You know, she needed a longer runway, if you will, to sleep. And so we started doing um, this kind of uh, practice of good night yoga and moving through these postures, which became really familiar and comforting for her. And so it became, you know, it wasn't the only story we read, but it was the one, it was the last, uh, it was the last kind of thing that we did together was to move through these postures and move through these poses and ending up. And that's why intentionally at the end of good night yoga, the child is in child pose because, um, you know, there's a part of it where they're actually standing up and they're moving their arms and legs and there's a balancing piece and then they're taking themselves back down all the way to a very relaxed state. And she needed it. She needed uh, to be able to, um, I think like anything with any ritual and the familiarity became very comforting to her to have kind of this is how we know we're really at the end. You know, we're really now moving it was sort of our communication to each other, too, that there wasn't going to be another story and another glass of water and another back rub. You know, this was really here we were all the way down. And then the visualization, I mean, my son loves that, too. I, I will tell you, every child I know loves guided visualization, just lying on their back and being taken on just a short floating, feeling yourself in your body, moving through space and time, experience. They love it. I mean, I can teach, um, you know, I can teach fifth graders, I can teach 10th graders. High school students, if they know that it's yoga day, will ask me, are, are we, they call it the cloud. They will ask me, are, are we doing the cloud today? I mean, it is compelling, I think, to be, I think it's true for all of us, to be in intentional Deep relaxation. I mean, you know, I, they they know it's the good stuff, you know. And what I love is that what I can tell them about kind of shavasana and and that relaxed state is that in yoga, this is as important as all the movement we just did. You know, this this is as important as all the busyness, as all the postures, as all the breath, as the whole experience that we just had. <sighs> This is this is as important, maybe more so, is that we just be here now. Now, Mariam, I, I myself don't have kids, but I have some nephews that I spend some time with. And one of the things I've noticed is how much time they want to spend on the computer or on the iPhone playing games of various kinds. I mean, big time, high level of interest in these games. And I'm curious what your view is of that and how teaching yoga and meditation to kids, how that fits in when there's so much stimulation and a different type of stimulation coming in through digital games of various kinds. Yeah, I think um, absolutely. And as someone with kids, I'm, I'm, um, uh, aware uh, of uh, how compelling um, all of that is. I I I think that um, you know I, I do think it's addicting. I I don't think we know um, yet. You know what what's the ramifications of that, or how serious is that, or is that you know something uh, you know where the word addicting is um, obviously. Maybe it's too strong. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. But I, I, it, it's certainly. I think, I think it's a fair. I think a, it's. A, I think it's a fair term. I mean, we see adults. Okay. <laughs> we see adults admitting their yeah. addiction to technology, to their iPhone, yeah. et cetera. I mean, I would admit my addiction to my iPhone. So I think that addiction's a fair term. Well, and I think you know, um, Louis C.K. does that amazing piece uh, on Conan O'Brien, um, the comedian Louis C.K., where he talks about his problem with uh, technology and, and vis-a-vis his kids and, and, and that really it's, um, and if we're going to use the term addiction, that it's, it's really uh, because, you know, we, we have a, a 
sensation come up. Maybe it's not even a very negative sensation, but but we immediately have a way to kind of push it away now, you know, whether it's um, to check our email again or to, um, you know, right, we have our own our own video games called Facebook or, you know, um, uh, uh, Instagram or whatever it, you know, whatever, um, whatever your particular interests are. And certainly, obviously that's happening with kids. I, I think that nonetheless, um, they still strongly want the movement and, the expression and the breath and all that happens when they're not on those video games. And it, I do think that we have to work harder to uh, give them those experiences and keep teaching awareness. Um, I don't think that video games are terrible. I don't think that, you know, media is terrible, Um but I think it's like everything. It's it's uh, it's if it's how we're using it, you know. It's it's if it's becoming how we uh, stay separate and stay separate from ourselves and stay outside of any sensation, then um, that's where we're running into a problem. And that's just why I do hope, believe, think that we're going to continue to be moving practices like yoga and emotional intelligence and mindfulness into our schools because um, we're needing it more and more. We're needing an overt, specific education um, to just, you know, be in our own experiences. There's the, you're right that the stimulations are, um, you know, out of control, you could say at this point, in terms of what's available to an average child uh, in this country um, and how, I mean, it used to be, you know, I, I think people used to be worried about comic books. I mean, they were reading comic books, you know. It's like, uh, um, I think that um, more and more um, we need to find ways to continue to give them the other experiences because when they have them, they love them and they want them. You know, if those same kids spend an hour outside, they're having a blast. You know, they're, they're, I don't find that they, that kids are losing the ability to be kids or to know what to do when those things are taken away. Um, it's just how much time are they having where they aren't online? Um, right, that's the question. I, d- I don't know if I have... Uh, an answer. I just keep teaching yoga. I, you know, that's my that's my um, answer. I think you know. I think it's a. Um, I think it's an issue for all of us, and it's. Uh, I think it's an issue for all of us right now. Okay, Mariam. Just one final question here. I'm curious what your vision is for how yoga and meditation could be taught to kids in the world today? If you have a kind of grand vision of what might be possible. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, that it's um, such a touching question, actually, you know, um, you know, I I I think that kids are in some ways, you know, are are really our kind of least empowered population in that um you know, often appropriately, but they don't have a lot of choice, you know, they don't choose what they where sometimes they don't choose necessarily what they eat. They certainly don't choose how they spend their day or where they live. And that's okay. They're in this time where they're being taken care of and those choices are often made for them. And, and But I, I feel like the idea of um, helping them learn through yoga and through meditation and a... a 
really specific approach that the idea that they could learn, you know, I I can't control everything that's happening around me, but I can control my reaction to it. And the idea that children could be learning the difference. I mean, I feel like I it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I even understood that there was a separation between what happened to me and my reaction to it. You know, I I didn't know those were two different things, really. And so the idea that at such a, um, as the rest of a person is evolving, that there would be an approach where the teaching of kind of mindfulness through yoga, through meditation, was happening in kindergarten in a way that was a little bit different than first grade and then a little bit evolved, just like we do all the other standards in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and on, and that it would be building. You know, I love the work that I do with kids, and I do have a lot of students that I see for several years in a row. But if that could be system-wide, I mean, I, I, I have to say that when I hear about just atrocities, you know, that people do to each other, things that happen, I can't help but feel that if that person and whatever, you know, the person on the on that end of the violence, if they were able to take a full breath in and a full breath out and really experience being in their body from the tips of their fingers to the tips of their toes, I don't know if if they could have committed that violence against another person. I mean, I, it, I, I don't know that it's possible if you actually feel the whole of yourself, if you can actually feel a complete breath in and a complete breath out. I think it just changes um, how you relate to yourself and how you relate to other people. And so for me, the idea that that is ha- would be happening in schools because that's where everyone is, you know, not not just the people who are looking for yoga, but that's where everyone is. And the idea that there would be uh, a whole unit that spanned, you know, all the way from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, um, building as it went, uh, it, you know, it, it. I think it, it's it's uh, exciting, mind blowing, inspiring to even imagine um, what could be possible. I've been speaking with Mariam Gates. She's the author of a new book for kids. It's called Goodnight Yoga, and it's beautifully illustrated and takes children through a bedtime sequence of postures and a visualization ending in the child's pose. And then your child sweetly and beautifully goes to sleep, right? At the end of Goodnight Yoga? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Thanks so much for being with us on Insights at the Edge, Mariam. Thank you, and thank you for all your good work. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.